0: Well, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, but basically the way I want to approach this this morning, and, and as I analyze this passage, I've had two weeks now to think about it, and as I analyze this passage, um, I realize there, there's two messages here. Uh, I'm going to put them together in the next 20 minutes, but <laughs> there are two messages, Uh, One of them has to do with what Daniel has to say to us, uh, what we can learn from him as an individual. He's a godly man living in an ungodly culture. Um, Maybe the United States isn't quite as far uh, down the slippery slope as Babylon was, but uh, we still live in an ungodly culture. And Daniel, uh, throughout the book, gives a demonstration, along with his three friends, of how uh, to honor God in in times of great opposition. And also, the blessing that God brings frequently to those who do honor Him and exalt Him. Uh, Daniel is such a man who continues to impress the kings with... Uh, You know, with his insight and wisdom and uh, with his moral fortitude, uh, he is an amazing person. So we have that message that uh, is in this chapter. But we also have a hint of the future. And I don't think that Daniel chapter 2 is so much about the future as it is a way to explain to us how Daniel came to have the influence and the direction uh, that he does in the Babylonian kingdom and the ones to follow. Uh, he was still um, kind of uh, having an influence uh, when the Medes and Persians took over. But... Daniel gives us a hint of what is going to be coming. Daniel chapters 7 and 8 actually give us a much more in-depth understanding of this vision. It's presented a little differently, but it relates to the same sequence of events in prophecy that we are introduced to here in chapter 2. So uh, I'm going to save some of the detail of the prophecies uh, for Daniel chapter 7 and 8 uh, as they come up in the future. But let's talk about how this thing begins. All of you have had this experience. One of the things about the Bible is it's so refreshingly true to life. Uh, You know, it's it's not a, a storybook of weird, fanciful tales that you can't relate to. These are ordinary people and king Nebuchadnezzar is is an ordinary man uh, you know I don't care um how high up you go um i I still remember that awful scene of George W. Bush at the dinner with the Japanese prime minister <laughs> <laughs> and he got sick and threw up at the table yuck uh you know that was that was uh just being human it just happens and uh Nebuchadnezzar went to sleep one night, and he had a dream that disturbed him and woke him up. Now, I'm interpolating a little, but I think if you read uh, these verses very closely, you'll see that it substantiates what I'm telling you. He kind of woke up and sort of tried to shake the dream out of his mind, and he went back to sleep, and he had the same dream, and it woke him up again. And I don't know how many times this repeated itself, but you've had that happen, haven't you? Every time you close your eyes and go back to sleep, you're, you're like back in the dream. And that's what had happened in Nebuchadnezzar. Finally, the Scripture says sleep left him. <laughs> he couldn't go back to sleep again, and this dream was horribly troubling to him. And so he summoned all the wise men of, of Babylon that were in the immediate vicinity. He called for the magicians and the sorcerers and and the Chaldeans and all those people. And, and I wonder what time and night this was, <laughs> you know, that uh, he sent uh, the couriers to go to their house and get them out of bed. I don't think it was the next morning. I think the king really needed to have an answer by this point. And they all come in and uh, he says, I've had this dream. And I'm anxious, I'm desperate to understand it. And so, as he uh, appeals to them, he gives them quite a test. Now, the commentators are divided on whether or not Nebuchadnezzar actually didn't remember his dream. Or if he was putting them to the test. In fact, the language suggests maybe he was putting them to the test. And you say, well, it says in the Bible that he forgot it. Well, Nebuchadnezzar said he forgot it. (laughs) The Bible is simply reporting the fact. And Nebuchadnezzar claimed to have forgotten his dream. And he says to all the magicians and sorcerers and the Chaldeans, he says, I want you to interpret this dream for me. And uh, they say, well, tell us a dream. And he says, I, no, you tell me the dream. And that way I'll know that you're telling the truth. Well, they think about this for a moment. And by the way, being under the authority of the Babylonian kings was not a great position to be in. Um, we have due process and you still get a lawyer and you have a trial in our country unless you're tried in social media, which is another story, but uh, at least in terms of genuine guilt. But they the king said whatever he wanted to say and they did these horrible punishments. Uh, so he says, no, I tell you how this is going to work. You're going to tell me what I dreamed. And what it means. And if you can't do it, I'm going to have you dismembered and put to death. And then I'm going to destroy your house and put your family on the street. That's what I'm going to do. Because he knew that this guy was not stupid. He knew that these guys could say anything if they were in collusion they could say anything and, and who's he to challenge them concerning the answer? But if they tell him what he dreamt, then he will know that they really have wisdom and insight. And so he wants to have the dream explained to him. Both what he dreamt and how it what it means. Well... They finally, the Chaldeans finally came forward. They were they were the real bright ones in the bunch. And they said, look, king, here's the deal. You've asked us to do something that no one can do. Only the gods know the answer to that, and they don't dwell with, with human beings. And there's no possible way we can tell you what you dreamed. And he says... No, I know you. You're bargaining for time. So, I tell you what, we're going to gather all of you up and put you to death. You're about to be dismembered. Now, you might wonder how it is that they didn't get put to death, but there was a public execution place where the sentencing was carried out. And uh, Ariok, the... Bodyguard of the king would have given orders to gather them all together. It was kind of like a police raid roundup. Gather them all together, bring them into the royal prison, and then take them out in mass and kill them one after the other. And so that would have taken a little while. And so in the process of that. Um, he comes to Daniel. Now, Daniel has already gained a reputation. And he says to Daniel, you got to come with me. The king has issued an edict that all the wise men be put to death. And Daniel goes, what? What are you talking about? Well, this is what the king required. So Daniel takes it upon himself And he says, I'm going to go have a conversation with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I want to tell you something. That took courage. Nebuchadnezzar was known for his fits of anger and rage. And he is already mad with these people. And you didn't just bop into the king's presence anytime you wanted to, to begin with. And then... To be one of the very people he's got it in for, and to go have a conversation with him, that took a lot of courage on Daniel's part. And Daniel goes to him and he says, you know what? He says, we can give you the interpretation that you're looking for. Our God will reveal that. We can tell you what you dreamed, and we can tell you what it means. All I ask is for a little bit of time. Now, (laughs) the Chaldeans, remember, were bargaining for time. Daniel goes in and blatantly asks for it. And the king gives it to him. Why do you suppose that was? I think it was because of Daniel's character. I think there was something about him that exuded moral depth and character and strength. And he was asking for a reasonable kind of thing. And he might even have said, I need to go and talk to my God about this. I don't know. We're not told that. But Daniel goes back home and he gets his three friends together. And he says, "Fellows, let's have a prayer meeting. We need to have wisdom from God. And that's one of the first lessons that I think this chapter intends to convey to us about Daniel's character. When he's in a bind, what does he do? And we'll find this all through the book. He seeks the Lord. He asked God for wisdom and insight. Daniel was an uncompromising kind of person. We know from chapter 1 that he was not willing, even though he was gracious about it, he was had already made up his mind that he was not going to eat the unclean food that was offered from the king's table. And if the overseer of these youths that were in training had insisted Daniel was ready to go to the mat for it. But once again, because of his character and his attitude and his, I think, graciousness and God's anointing on him, he was given the opportunity to to do the test. And now, once again, he comes to the king and he says, I need time. And he gets his friends together and they pray. And I suspect, if we try to put this on a timeline, Nebuchadnezzar had the dream in the night. He wakes up all the wise men. Daniel's not included in this. He calls the principal guys together. And morning comes and he sends out this edict and Ariok goes to get all of the wise men rounded up and Daniel gets the time that he needs and goes back to his friends and says, we need to have a prayer meeting because this is what the king is demanding and we need to seek God for wisdom. I'm going to guess maybe they started praying sometime in the late morning or afternoon. And they prayed into the night. And while they were praying in the night, Daniel had a vision. Now, what is the difference between a dream and a vision? One, you're asleep. The other, you're awake. (laughs) If you're dreaming, you're sleeping. If you're having a vision, you're awake. But you're kind of transported spiritually into a realm where you can see things that um, are of the supernatural. And Daniel begins to praise God. Let the name of God be blessed forever. This is verse 20. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Now, let me ask you to put yourself in Daniel's shoes for a moment. Your life is hanging in the balance. You better get this right. Because you've got to go back and tell the king what he dreamt. And one of the reasons that commentators think the king was kind of running a ruse with the other wise men and that he really knew what he had dreamed was because how was he going to know if they told him the truth about that if he didn't remember any of it well it's because he probably did remember it at least a good bit of it remember it happened repeatedly and it troubled him and so Daniel has got to get this right or it's dismemberment for him too and his friends and he wants to be certain that he relates to the king the truth that God has revealed to him and so he says to God you have made known to me what we requested of you how did Daniel know that God had given him the vision and was speaking to him. How do you know when God is speaking to you? When you're in the horns of a dilemma and you need to make a decision and you're not quite sure what to do and you begin to pray, how do you know that the answer you're getting is from God is just really what you wanted all along or because you had pizza and ice cream before you went to bed how do you know I want to suggest to you that this requires a close walk with God my sheep here My voice and another, they will not follow. If we walk closely with God on a daily basis and we hear Him speaking to us regularly, then we can discern His voice and not be confused by the ideas. Of ourselves or those who project into us. So Daniel goes to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king. By the way that says a lot for Daniel too in terms of his character. They're a bunch of lying pagans and he knew it. But he said don't destroy them. Give him a break. I have the answer. Take me to the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation. So Arioch hurriedly brings Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles of Judah. <laughs> I love that. Ariok's trying to score a few brownie points. <laughs> King, look what I've done. I found this guy that can do this for you. Well, Daniel doesn't make a big deal about that. But anyway, the king says to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answers before the king and says, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, Now, I would have been afraid to say this. Because there's bodyguards standing around the king and I would have been afraid the king would have gone before I finished my sentence. There's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. But he says nobody else could give you this information. It has to come from God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And while you were sleeping, your thoughts turned to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man. But for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. And now Daniel begins to explain the king's dream. He had seen a statue. This statue had a head of gold. It had uh, uh, breast and arms of silver. It had an abdomen of bronze. And it had uh, thighs and feet of iron. And its feet had iron mixed with clay. They don't mix well. And so here's this statue that the king has seen, and it was terrifying to him it, it, he didn't understand it, and he wanted to know what was happening and Daniel says, "O oh, King, God has made known to you what the future holds." and he explains to him that each of the change in the metals is a different kingdom <laughs> Some of the commentators went into specific gravity and all that kind of stuff. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar or Daniel were particularly concerned about specific gravity. But um, the, the value of the metals began to go down even as the, the supposed strength went up. And by the time they got to the feet, they were mixed with clay, which was really bizarre. But Daniel said, here's what this means. You're the head of gold. After you will come another kingdom. We know that that was the Medes and Persians. After them will come another kingdom, the bronze abdomen. That kingdom was the, Greek, uh, the, the Grecian kingdom. And after that will come the thighs and legs of iron which represented the Roman empire and then you get down to the feet and you find the feet are a mixture and then this this stone comes out of a mountain without human hands touching it and it is cast at the feet of the statue and it shatters the feet and then the whole thing crumbles like a heap of dust and the wind blows it away like the chaff. And Daniel says this last kingdom that is represented by the stone that comes from the mountain is the kingdom of God that will last forever and ever And it will endure eternally. That's the kingdom that is the final kingdom. And so as he explains this to the king. The king is is blown away. Um, He falls at Daniel's feet. The king falls at Daniel's feet. And he worships. And he appoints Daniel as head over... All the wise men of Babylon. And at Daniel's request, the three friends are appointed kind of like governors of the various provinces. And now God's people are in charge of all the wisdom and all the direction and the consultation of of Babylon. As Daniel himself is given a place in the king's court to give advice and guidance. We could say a lot, a lot about this statue. We could talk about the ten toes. and We could talk in Revelation about the ten horns. And we could talk about the stone that became the cornerstone. And uh, those who were crushed by it were were, um, pulverized. There's so much we could say. But when we get to Daniel 7 and 8 we'll pause and we'll put all of this together along with Revelation and look at it a little more closely. But here's a man who is sold out to God. And because of his integrity and his moral fortitude, God continues to put him in places of significant leadership. And Daniel takes... An amazing role as a counselor to the king and we learn in future chapters he's not afraid to tell the king what he thinks and the king actually respects that and develops a fondness for this guy that he has great appreciation and Daniel has great influence. How do you know the voice of God? How do you gain opportunity among pagan leadership? It's often because you do the right thing. And eventually they come to know that you're trustworthy. And who doesn't want a trustworthy advisor you know the king was wise to the Chaldeans he knew they were a bunch of conniving liars and they weren't worth much and he wasn't happy with them but he learned that Daniel was a man whom he could trust to tell him the truth